This is the real bad dude's cast. This is part two of the Vengeance Review. So going on. Yeah. <laughs> this film may, like you said, it's too early to say if it's completely changed the trajectory of the series forever. It's too early to say if it tarnished it. So give it time. Watch it once. Have your opinions. Give your feedback. And best of all, watch it again after we fix some of the technical issues because there's a good chance that you might see something that you didn't see before. And if anybody is focused solely on um, choppy editing, you know, or the aspect ratios changing or the audio dropping, if that's your sole complaint, it's going to be fixed and then you should be happy with it. You know, so, um, you know, give it the watch, give your thoughts on it. And then, you know, wait until after um, Dustin and Jeremy get the editing all squared away. Because now I'm, um, I, I think the best part is, is that we can look at this film in hindsight and start to really get deep into the things that drag on or the things that aren't just gelling perfectly and help, you know, the final product be better. And that's what people in the YouTube comment section and viewers and listeners need to remember is that's what the cutting room floor is for. What people saw in this first release is essentially the event investor's copy. You got to see what the studio put out first, and you should feel somewhat privileged to see the flaws because after they're gone, you're going to be the people with the unique privilege of having seen them. Yeah, and if you really want to try to spin a negative into a positive, if you're interested in getting into film at some point or you're an aspiring filmmaker or you, you know, or, or, or just a casual viewer that's a fan of the franchise, seeing this early cut and then seeing the revised cut and then the director's cut and, and all those sorts of things, it'll really give you an insight into how uh, five seconds clipped here or a couple seconds extended there and just how in-depth and how arduous true, filmmaking true because really, really we've we've Absolutely. yeah we've reviewed fan edits we know what an editor can do to fundamentally change a film and actually improve it and stuff even three frames cut can make a punch hit harder absolutely and i mean i i can tell you firsthand editing is it's not an easy easy thing to do and i mean shit i edit I don't edit the the ROM hack reviews, but you know when I edit the review, you know the, the the production review, just to get 12 minutes of video, that's about two weeks of work. There's scripting, there's constant takes, and then there's going through the footage again and again and again and again, and then there's always a second guessing yourself, and then there's rendering something and then giving it a watch through and going, oh no, this thing is bleeding through onto this here. And, oh, shit, I got to do a little bit of color correction here. And the audio is getting kind of drowned out by the background music. It's, it's a very, very tedious, mm -hmm. and it's a very, very time-consuming process. I, you know? And it's, it's, it's difficult. And that speaks to the unique privilege viewers have been given by watching this cut. Is like, yeah, you might be in the comments section shitting right now, just in anger, about how some things were wrong. But your feedback is going to change the final product your eyes were the either the unique eyes or one of tens or hundreds of eyes that caught something that the editor didn't and perhaps you should feel a little proud of yourself for even noticing it like it shouldn't be about how this one it. thing was wrong it should be about what was right and how you noticed that one thing was wrong 
because everything surrounding it wasn't. Otherwise, the entire thing would be wrong. And the best part is, is that even noticing these things and giving more constructive outlook, this gives you the opportunity to help the, you know, help the editor along so that he can see something that he missed and make the final thing better for you. Yes. And for other viewers. And that's kind of like a legacy you can have on as a viewer, as an internet commenter, especially on fan-made productions hmm. where they can hear you. They, like, shit, anything I say about Avatar is not going to change what James Cameron does. But here's a unique chance mm -hmm. for my feedback to change the outcome of something, to make an actor look at themselves and be like, okay, I was hamming it up a little. Maybe I should draw it back. Make the editor go, okay, maybe I should focus a little less on music and maybe let the actors speak for themselves. Maybe this scene should be silent because there's a bit more tension and he won't realize it until he, your comment makes him cut the audio so he can hear everything and he realizes it works. Of course, pissing off the music creator but hey that's part of the process of filmmaking absolutely and i mean it's just that, that that's pretty much what it boils down to you know it's um it's a it, it is a very very long process and i mean just on just on this film alone you know it's um you got to take a real hard look at it we pretty much kept film going you know, filming going as you know as much as we could to get things just right. Filmmaking and that whole editing. Go ahead. As it, well, filmmaking is tough, whether or not you're a great filmmaker no or not. You know, uh, even if it's Troll Two, The Broom, uh, you know, Battlefield Earth or whatever. You know, it all takes hard work. Uh, but luckily, uh, Vengeance managed to be a good product with all the love and passion. It's actually a legitimately great fan film. And, you know. On the subject of, because uh, we actually did kind of get sidelined. We were talking about the kills and we ended up here. We had a momentary right. detour through practical effects. Yes, and if and you've it's... been watching, if you've been listening to our show, we are pretty fucking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, the, the, the kills, yeah. They, they, they turned out perfect. You guys both like the, the boat one? I, when I saw the car one, that was an oh shit one. Oh yes, the, oh yeah, yeah. The radiator fan. Yeah, and you know what? A lot of people, um, I didn't pick up on this. That was actually an homage to, uh, Friday the 13th, the game. I knew that. <laughs> I wouldn't have, I haven't yet had the opportunity to play it. Well, yeah, when you do the, the single-player campaign, that's like the first mission. Take a look at that shit. You know, but I mean, that, that, that right there is a testament. You didn't know it, but it was there. And, um, you know, that, that shows how much thought went into this. And that, that's what you really got to look at. I, I think it uh, just kind of goes into, uh... Practical effects will always ha stand out and age better than CGI. Absolutely. So with the imperfections, with uh, a few squibs that looked like squibs, um, it still had splatter. It had weight. It had gravity. It wasn't a CGI composite of a guy laying in front of a green screen under a PNG image of a boat as CGI rendered the wood breaking and then a tremendous bright red blood spurt. There's kind of a brutality in that boat scene, and it kind of goes... Uh, to why it's my favorite. When he actually gets stabbed inside the boat, you can hardly tell that it happened other than the positioning of the spear. 
and it makes it kind of singularly brutal because it's just incidental that it even went into him. And then, yeah, when Jason plunges it through the middle, we don't even get to see it. And it, it, it lends itself to like this real-world brutality where the off-cameraness of the deaths, um, another example would be the killing of the chain gang. I thought was fantastic. It weirdly took me right back to Saving Private Ryan. I love mm-hmm. the camera angle, the body parts everywhere, the screaming. Like, it's just this chaotic mess, as opposed to focusing on everyone being killed one by one in spectacular, made-for-3D CGI. Yeah, that was definitely something that no, I, I don't think anybody was really, truly expecting. Well, when you just, just the, the, the concept of it blew me away. Jason comes across a group of people that are chained together, and... It could have it could have gone on a little bit longer because I like the idea of one person falling and then everybody else has got that realization that the further up he goes in that chain, the closer he's getting to them. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been a difficult scene to pull off though, and it could have easily become camp to the point where like they would have been overextending their abilities with the practical effects and. Like, the way it worked out, it worked out well, whereas if we'd gotten to the end of the chain and it was, like, nine chopped-up bodies and one guy on the chain, like, it might have worn its welcome out. It really could have. I feel that what we got in the end was the perfect length, because you got the idea, and, you know, you just let your imagination... Well, it's one of the most Ta-da. effective things about an off-camera death, is it forces the viewer to utilize their imagination, which is often worse than what CGI or practical effects could achieve. True. Absolutely. The final death of a chain gang member, um, when all you heard was just him screaming, I thought that was a great uh, throwback to Predator. <laughs> yeah. When Sonny Landon got killed. You don't see yeah. what happened to him. All you just heard was a really horrible scream. And then all that's left is just your imagination, which is usually a billion times more effective than what anybody could put out of it. Uh, it's at- oh, go ahead. Oh. I also gotta give the movie credit on, well, actually, you know, being able to pull off nudity, because, like, the, the later Fridays has kept, like, cutting back on, like, the boobs and stuff, so, like, <laughs> you know, it's a staple of the series. Uh, boobs are, are, are hit and miss. I mean... It can go one way or it can go the other. I, I felt it was it was there and it worked. But I don't know, if you watch a lot of modern horror movies, it's you know it's just kinda of changed from like the older movies. Absolutely. It's 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 a, I think it's a nice throwback to eighties horror where it's there and you're right. just like, Oh shit, this is what I came to you know. Well, it's all, it's kind of the, it kind of speaks to the frankness of nudity. There there wasn't any sensual music. There's no like dun dun dun. <laughs> no dun, sexy dun. saxophone. Yeah. Like yeah, you don't, you don't you don't get like the the sudden porno soundtrack. You just suddenly yeah. have teenagers getting nude in the woods, which they do. They uh-huh. do sometimes. You don't get Dwayne Duke sitting in a motel room with the with the lamps. Oh, Psycho Three. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. <laughs> um. If I had to speak to the nudity in this film, there there wasn't really a time when it felt gratuitous. I didn't feel like it was so oriented around the gaze that it was just making you stare at breasts just so you could get the minimum amount of satisfaction before moving on. It was just frank nudity. It wasn't there just to be there. I mean, there was a reason behind it. 
I mean, you got people getting naked and going into the lake. You got people getting naked because they're about to do it. You didn't just have someone doing it and then jumping up and down like an asshole. Yep. Like that scene in part five where the waitress flashes her boobs for no reason in the mirror. It's showtime! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's actually one of the reasons why, uh, X is one of my favorites, though, is the uh, holodeck scene. Oh, that seems, that yeah, seems we funny. We love premarital sex. It's this absolute just slapstick nod to what the series has kind of been considered to be about by the public, what slashers have been considered to be about, and sort of really at its core what Jason's character is about, which is this vengeance on teenage sexuality and the toll it took on his life. Yeah, you know, a good way that I could sum up Jason X when you put it from that perspective, I guess, would be, you didn't want me to care, fuck it, I don't. Exactly. And, and it's kind of, it's interesting as an example, because it runs the opposite of Vengeance, which is Vengeance, like, there was this moment right at the beginning when he's killing the two in the tent, and I'm just kind of like, eh, that gore's a little unrealistic for being swung around once, and then it cuts away, and we're kind of jumping back to off-camera deaths, and when you get that girl's piercing scream across the lake, and I just suddenly had chills, because I could see myself on a lake somewhere hearing that, and just having no idea what's happened. Like, it, it kind of tied into this terror where it suddenly was like, oh shit, we're serious now. Right? Right. I, I, I thought it was a great message to hear that piercing scream, because it was just, yeah, we're not playing around. Like, you know she's helpless. Why do we have to show that she's helpless for five minutes? Yeah. Um, now, another staple of horror that I feel that this film really captured great was there's always a moment where you got to stop it. Let's talk about some of the comics here. What, what did you guys think of wow, we're thinking alike, because I was just about to bring that up, that some of the hilarious scenes in the movie, especially uh, the, the, tent pitching, the tent pitching scene was great. Oh my god. I can't begin to tell you. Um, I had already mentioned this before, but, you know, people don't watch every, every episode. Um, I ran slate for that scene. You know? It's when you take the clipboard and you slap it together. Awesome, mm-hmm. you know. Um, total union job. Jesus. Um, anyways. It was one of the funniest things that I had ever seen in my life. It really was. And they, everything just worked perfectly. And it wasn't one of those things where, you know, like, you, you, you hear about movie production and you're like, oh, you have to do 50,000 takes. Every single time that people did it, fucking crushed it out of the park. And watching that, uh, um, watching that tent pitching scene, oh, wow. We, all of us were laughing off the camera so hard. I don't think anybody laughed harder than Mick. Mick's Because all I saw was just blue plaid going up and down, and people are just lowering their heads, and we're all trying our asses off not to laugh and ruin the tape. Because yeah. <laughs> the, the, the presentation for it was so funny. Well, it actually kind of ties into something I really liked about the comedy in this film, was it actually felt very organic in a way. It never really quite hit the area of being forced, like even down to what's worse than ants in your pants. Like, it was a simple joke, it was a dad joke, it was lame as hell, but it's kind of undercut with this tension. And I, I think the film just did a really good job of either using, utilizing campy characters, which were literally the tour guides 
as like this perfect stand-in for True. where we put the campy comedy, where we put the lameness. And it, it was a nice receptacle for all of this type of humor. Where when we cut away, it didn't feel like we were missing anything when we cut away from a lame, scary story, because no, they're not plot-critical characters. But it gave these opportunities for comedy to be introduced in a way that felt, like, real. You've got these people who paid too much for this tour, who are simply frustrated. Because, good god, none of these ever turn out the way they're supposed to. Even if you've been to Winchester House, they'd try and make it spookier than it is when really you're walking around like, huh. This is what it's like to be crazy, and that's scarier than anything they're saying. <laughs> and uh, I think the comedy was just very successful, and that's coming from a person who rarely laughs at comedy in films. Yeah, that 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 was it was a really organic scene, and just the way that it came together, as it went along, it just got funnier, and that's no pun intended on that. Right. I mean, the the one person that I couldn't keep my eyes off while doing that was John Ravenall, who played Frank Castile. He was uh, he was the guy with the mustache. Mm-hmm. He, <laughs> his actions and his mannerisms and the way that he spoke, it reminded me so much of John Aston as Gomez. Again, it was eccentric and it was animated. He, he does a real great job of keeping your eye, and just the way that he put it, it was like. I'm really trying to make this fun for you guys, and you're just... Ugh. You know, yeah. It was great. Um, it's it's weird, because I almost got... And I, I, I feel like this is misplaced, but when I was watching it, I almost got kind of like... Robocop vibes, in the sense that like we were in the area of true satire, in a way. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was satirizing even the concept of making tourism out of atrocities. And how yeah. it's always going to be inherently forced. You're not going to just be able to recreate the murders and all of their drama, even if you are in the exact place where these murders took place. So this dude's actually taking on a pretty hard job. He's going to take a bunch of adults into the woods and try and scare them while keeping them safe, try and introduce comedy while they're deeply cynical about how light their wallets are feeling, and he's going to do his damnedest, is what I got from the character. Hmm. Yeah, it was just, yeah, we're gonna make a quick buck off of this, but Jesus, these people are not making it. <laughs> um, I just like... Another, the, the, the other, um, uh, one of my personal favorites was the other tour group. Right. They, they played that <laughs> off, and the commentary on that was just absolutely hilarious. I could watch that scene over and over again. Like, that shit to me, that was funny. I mean, that was something that you would see in a Looney Tunes cartoon, and I mean that in such a good way. You, you had the guy who is... It reminded me... tour group, huh? Uh, the two tour groups kind of remind me of that scene in uh, Blair Witch 2. In a sense, yeah. Was it an homage to that? I really don't. But, I, um, I doubt it. I, I, I love the way that the other tour group was presented, because you had people that were even more cynical. And you had this guy who's obviously not giving as much of a shit. You know, just, <laughs> it was oh, great. Oh, no. Could, and, then, and I actually heard someone say, that's an example of bad acting. I was like, no, that's an example of fantastic acting. No, it was funny because he, he's stuff. reading off the paper, like, you know, like, eh, whatever kind of thing. Yeah, but like, I got your money. That people actually took that shit serious. And, 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 the, and the beauty of it is, is that they didn't realize that that's how... It was supposed to come off as. Oh, and here we are. We're wandering along uh, the trail to um, Camp Crystal Lake. 
Yeah, and then the tour group was so funny. That's not even a good costume. Oh no, do I hear the scream of Jason Voorhees' past victims? <laughs> Is Jason coming to kill us? Oh god, I hope so. If anything, that was a portrayal of probably a more realistic tour thing that you pay for. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's actually what took me back to Winchester House, is like when you have, you have that tour guide who... They live in town. They just need money. They didn't get the last three jobs that they applied for, and they applied here, and they're like, sure. They hand him the script, he never memorizes it. He just kind of keeps it in his pocket as a guidebook and reads directly off it. Because <laughs> even if you complain, what are they going to do, fire you? There's not a lot of people who want to work here. And it's just a very real character. And it even, uh, one of the, one of my favorite throwbacks to that, though, was when, uh, I'm just forgetting the character's name. I'll just call him the real tour guide. Um, he's like, you guys better not be playing another prank on us. Like, it just... That was, uh, that was Frank Castile. Frank Castile, thank you. It just, it eluded me for a moment. Um... Yeah, when the realness came out of him. Yeah, because he's just... Furious. Like, I imagine they've done that before in the past, completely derailed the tour when they knew the other t tour group had it scheduled. Well, you, you picked up the throwback there. This better not be like that time in Springville. I shit you not. I yeah. was like, oh boy. <laughs> it made me really want to know that about that time. Yeah, that, 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 that to me is just another example of, yeah, we did it. Successful writing is what I would call it. Absolutely. Fantastic writing. Um, when I had read the script, um, I had seen the original, I had seen the revisions, and even the early drafts of the script, I thought it was a really, really good story. Because it's, it's just, once again, you can't please every fan, and, Jesus Christ, if I was going to be somebody, it, it, it's really hard to, to give an opinion on it, having worked on it. But, I, I mean, as a fan, I would have... I, and I did. Honestly, as much as I love Jeremy, I, I looked at it and I was like, all right, I'll give it a look. And, oh boy, what, did it, what have we got here? And then when I first got it, I couldn't put it down because my first thought was, is they, they nailed it. They got it. They got the spirit of it. They got, you know, they got it right. They got the idea right. It definitely takes you back to, I wouldn't call it a simpler time, but the time in which slashers kind of initially came into vogue. Mm -hmm. Because it's not about just setting up the kills. It kind of speaks about a world that exists outside of these atrocious things we're about to see. In which real people live. In which uh, all of this is going to happen inexorably. But in which up until that point, the character shouldn't just feel like the cable guy showing up to fix her cable and never quite doing so. Like it didn't and feel like... Porno setting speaking up to the cable guy. I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. Um, speaking of cable guy, we gotta give props to the hillbilly. <laughs> I like this character quite a lot. Yeah, that, that Jeremy really fucking killed it there. That guy's got a future in comedy, seriously. Yeah. That, he had some of the best lines. Of, it, it was one of the funniest shit I, I, I've ever seen. And just seeing him pop out, and then when he found the the the, the, the jeep. Fucking cup holders? <laughs> oh, I, I couldn't stop laughing. I, I love the, the tampon nerf gun line. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make sense, but, like, I just laughed. Like, I, I was so caught up in the mental image of what kind of mind would even conjure that as a as an image of what makes an uptight <laughs> woman. 
that like it what it is like because you say it's he got the best lines i don't think it's that it was a matter of just excellent delivery because anybody oh, else delivery. could have taken that script and made it lame they could have just read those lines they could have put on like i'm from alabama accent and phoned it in but he did not true yeah the delivery was phenomenal i mean jason jason brooks is one hell of an actor and he he's he did so much on the production of this movie. He's definitely a jack of all trades, and everything that he does, he pretty much crushes. And of course, you know he's a brutal Jason, which means for night guy, you know. Right. So, and and him playing, you know, Louie the redneck was just fuckers funny. <laughs> right. We need we need a, a Louie spinoff. That's what I think so too. I mean, personally. Um, I would have a director's commentary, and then I would have a Louie commentary, and just have <laughs> That would be awesome! Should bash the movie the whole time, you know? And so here, this wound-up bitch. <laughs> Damn, bitch, it's nothing for you to lose your head about. I, I, I couldn't <laughs> even do it justice, because Jer- uh, J- Jason does it so well. Yeah. Um, in short, yeah, though, man. his performance and delivery were pretty extraordinary, and it kind of really speaks to the multifaceted nature of his abilities. True, true. It wasn't simply just, okay, he can act scary. It wasn't just one role. It's evidence that there's skill there. He was drawing upon personas, not just the one thing he does and probably will be typecasted to do the rest of his life, like some actors. Right. Oh, really? He, he's fantastic. He's really, really good at what he does. You know, so I, honestly, I'd say keep an eye out for him because this isn't just going to be someone that's... He's going to be known as as a damn good Jason, but anything that he tries in the future, I think um, Jason's really going to kick ass at. He, he deserves a lot of praise, not just for playing as Jason, but everything that he did on this film. Right. So, is there any other aspect we want to touch on the film? I mean, definitely the music was great because, you know... Harry Manfredini did it. Um. The music def- direction definitely, in my opinion, made the film. I, I'm watching it. I, I, it's still playing on mute, by the way, on loop. Um, it, it's interesting how some scenes just... Uh, the tension doesn't quite land without that. It doesn't um, have this uh, intensity that's kind of implied that underlies even the campy comedic moments. And I think he just did an extraordinary job setting up the music to kind of maintain the theme and direction of the film, even as it, and I, by the way, I used meander in the most loving sense, but meandered between comedy, tension, and horror. Right. I, I thought it all worked out very well. Um, now here, here's something to show that I'm not uh, 100% biased. If there was one thing that I would say would improve the film, would be, um, I would have things be a little bit more methodical and have a little bit more build before Mm. things happen. I could see that. I mean, we we got moments where when the kills happen, it's it's absolutely gruesome. But I feel that it would have been a hell of a lot more effective. And I mean, like the car thing, that needed to be something that came out of the blue. (laughs) Yes. But uh, but another example was is that build-up with that second tour group. When the guy's sitting there going, oh yes, and you can still hear her saying, kill for mother. And then you just see Jason appear behind him, and he just stood there. And what, you take a moment like that, and that just made it all the more better. And it wasn't even from a comedy aspect, 
it's that you know some bad shit's about to happen. Right. Yeah, you know, so I mean, my take is is that once the kills happened, they were absolutely satisfying. But they would have been made a lot better if there was just maybe a little bit more. I don't want to say cat and mouse, but I want to say a little bit more build up. Well, cat and mouse is a good term for it because one example that comes to mind, and I'm apologizing to the actress in advance because I forgot her character's name. Um, the one who's posted up outside the cabin who gets stabbed by the uh, what I termed the flying knife because it's a camera yeah. on knife perspective. Mm-hmm. There could have been more tension build up because as that scene unfolded I actually just had a pretty severe what the hell just happened moment like it took me a moment to identify the weapon it took me a mo- like because like the thing is is like in the original Friday the 13th and maybe I'm guilty of nostalgia like I'm by the There's original the I mean case. the best ones I'm continuing counting all the best in the series he tends to grab the weapon we tend to get a sense of what he's armed himself with and that's where part of the tension comes from, because like he, he kind of, like I, I liked uh, Rage's comparison to the Terminator in a way, because you get that kind of with Schwarzenegger whenever he picks up something in the series, is you're just like, oh shit, how what, what's he gonna do with this? Right. And like uh, it's gonna be creative, is what you know. You know it's not gonna be conventionally what you do, and I'm just gonna throw out a random item that he didn't pick up a garden hoe. Yeah. But it's gonna be creative. It's gonna be something that you don't typically think of that being like. It's not just gonna be a stick that you hit someone with. Like uh, I never would have imagined that to be a weapon. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where it's like ugh, you can netpick stuff. You can be like, well, there's a lot of taste loose in the daytime, but it's like, you know, ugh, whatever. <laughs> you know. It, well, honestly, like yeah. there's well, there's. There, oh, go ahead. It was a build-up to the night, right? You know, because it, it, mm-hmm. I felt it was a journey to the night because we all know that once it's nighttime, it's the rest. It's the end, you know. And what was um what was a common complaint that we all had about once again another um uh, bloated the sewer, and it actually happened to take place in the sewer was um uh, aliens versus predator Wefrium. Right. What was a, a big complaint? Can't fucking see anything. You couldn't see anything. It was always dark. Was <laughs> yeah. dark. You kind of had to break that up a little bit. And uh, to counter that, I mean, the only counters that I can give is just referencing other Friday the 13th movies. Right. I feel that it's really valid to do so. Because, oh, well, he, he, he there was daytime things going on. Well, he used to fucking kill people yeah. in the daytime, too. It's one of those things where, like... You can either nitpick the shit out of something or just enjoy it for what it is, because, you know, yeah, but, nothing's but, but perfect. But here's my counter. Part two, Jason killed how many people in the daytime? Right. Or part four, the protester he that gets the, the banana, you see the banana get stabbed in the neck, something like that, you know. The banana, the, the, yeah, the poor banana girl. He killed her during the daytime. Part six, he did the triple decapitation during right. the daytime. You know, He's so there, shit happens in the daytime. Um, yeah, because if it takes place at night the whole time, it just isn't going to work. And even if it isn't Jason, yeah, Pamela Voorhees also killed people in the daytime, too. So it's uh-huh. just, yeah, you know, what do you want? Exactly. Well, I don't think a horror series should be in a box. It's nice when it can break outside the box and explore new concepts. And I personally, I thought the day-to-night journey was actually pretty effective. It gave us Clever. a chance to explore the tension of him as a day stalker. Like a thing that is in the woods. I mean, in the woods is bad enough. 
You are in the woods alone, isolated from society. It obstructs your vision continuously, so there's plausible environment for these scares for him to appear. I mean, I'm, I, has anybody, have either of you had the experience where you walk around a tree and you suddenly see a wild animal? Yeah. Yeah, that shit happens. And uh, that's kind of what Jason is during the daytime, is he is just a pissed off rabid bear walking through the woods. If you happen to encounter him, you're screwed. If you were to see him from like a thousand feet away, odds are you're probably going to survive. Just nobody was fortunate enough for those circumstances to arise that way. I, I thought it was pretty plausible how he moved through the daytime. That one scene where he appears behind the camp counselor was probably my biggest, like, sticking point because it just didn't have a fast enough reaction where, um, like, honestly, I, I liked that was a good costume as a line. But, uh, like, someone basically, if they'd said, like, I think you came out too early, like, and it made the guy turn around in a different way as he just kind of wondered, wait, what? Because the script is officially broken. It could have, like, set it up a little better, but, they, like, it, it, it worked as it did. Like, without going to the point of nitpicking, like, I, I personally didn't find any part of the film where I was dissatisfied or thinking of it as beneath the standard that was established by the series. Hmm. Well, honestly, it's really awesome to hear that. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. I mean, that's... At the end of the day, me personally, that's, you know, that's what everybody really worked towards. And just hearing that, you know, that, that makes my day. You know, and my contribution to the whole thing was, you know, pretty minimal. You know, I, I, I didn't do a whole hell of a lot, but just being a part of it feels amazing. And just, you know, hearing... Because, I mean, the, the best way that I can also sum up being on set was is that it's... A bunch of people who had never met before went into the woods, and we all walked out, friends, you know? So hearing people that I know and people that I care about, and, he, you know, hearing people praise their hard work, hearing every, everybody's hard work, you know, it just makes my day, knowing that, you know, my friends are doing something that they're really passionate about and that people are actually enjoying. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it did turn out... Uh you know, <clears throat> fantastic, um, because, you know, it could have turned out, you know, everything could have went wrong, but everything didn't, you could tell that everyone put in their, their labor of love, and it, you know. Yeah, this was a love letter to anybody <clears throat> who was a Friday the 13th, you know, but. So, you look at the older ones done. by Paramount, they were all pretty much independent kind of films, like Paramount would be like, look, here's this amount of money. Go out in the woods, make your movie, just make sure, you know, just make us money, we'll do another one, you know? So it's not so different from this fan film. You guys went out with an idea, a script, made your story, you know, and it's so far you're getting great praise, you know? Uh, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a Friday the 13th slasher film. Yeah, you, it's like you waste your time nitpicking shit or just enjoy it for what it is. And this does have a lot of ambition. This does have a lot of thought into it. There was thought put in the story. This wasn't made just as necessarily to have Jason to show up. Okay, so like, uh, uh, one problem with <clears throat> a lot of the Friday sequels is we don't get returning characters necessarily, except Tommy Jarvis, but uh, most of the time it's new characters and kind of the same thing that happens over again. This one tried to establish lore, bring back characters that were connected to previous characters and further the story, which is neat. Whether or not you as a viewer cared for that, you know, 
at least an attempt was made. Kind of like going back to Hollowing Six or whatever, you know? Yeah, so it's like just either you enjoy it for, you know, what they try to do, and if not, like I said, there's gonna be plenty more fan films and stuff anyway, so at the end of the day, everyone will be happy, but for this film in particular, it was it was great. It was really you could you could tell the passion shine through and it was a lot of fun. My takeaway yeah, that's, was that that's, it, oh, go ahead. It was absolutely what it was meant to be. Like it wasn't a series of people jumping out to get their moment in the spotlight, to get their Oscar nomination, each stealing the show in their own individual ways. They overacted the hell out of every role. The art director competed with them to try and make his name known. The music director drowned them out by timing the music to cover their lines because he thought its tension was more important. They came together very cohesively in a way that ultimately, like, my biggest moment, like, if I were to pick one thing, let's just say, put on the nitpick hat. There were some dubbed lines that were audible, like, audibly dubbed because the environment had drowned out what people were saying. There were some moments where the dialogue was quiet, but that's part of the process of making an independent film. You get back to the studio and you listen to this stuff and you're just kind of like, well, shit. Are we going to recreate the entire set of practical effects simply to recapture one line of dialogue that ultimately in the end was not critical to what the purpose of the film was? Or do we just roll with it and accept that these two characters are talking kind of quietly in this scene? Well, I can add this to the conversation, because, um... Uh, one thing that uh, a couple people did point out that I've noticed in the comments, um, both on Facebook and on the video itself, is, uh, some of the technical issues. And I can at least say this much, is, um, anybody listening to this particular, uh, cast, uh, we, we, we gotcha. We, we, we've definitely seen it, we've definitely made note of it, and I'm not making excuses. Because, you know, you want to you wanna have a movie come out absolutely perfect, you know, the first time. That's everybody's goal. Nobody's going to look at this and just be like, oh, we know this is bad, so we're just going to dump it out anyway. Yeah. It was, um, there, there was quite a few issues on the technical side. We've had computers crash, and uh, Jeremy and Dustin, um, who is um, the director of cinema photography, I think he did a fantastic job. He deserves props as well. They were up doing 14-hour shifts editing this thing by themselves, just the two of them. And in between the whole editing process, there was a lot of issues like with computers crashing and getting at video codecs and the proper rendering processes and everything. And it just really came down to the wire because we had to get this out on the 13th because we had promised everybody this is going to be out for the opening and Blair's down. Because, I mean, timing. How, how can you recreate... Re, re, you know, shit, re releasing a movie on Friday the 13th. Releasing Friday the 13th on Friday the 13th. You don't get many opportunities to do that. Because, I mean, do you sit and disappoint everybody? Or do you, you know, put it out there and say, we know we're going to get flack for this and we're going to fix it. And right. You, you know, that was the decision was to put it out. We definitely, we, we definitely know and it's in the process of being fixed. And when it's done... I uh, can't really give a time frame, but definitely by the time the DVDs and Blu-rays start rolling out, it's going to be fixed completely. So the technical shit, that, that stuff is going to be knocked out ASAP. Yeah, that's another thing to remember, like when you're watching these fan productions, is when they first go up on YouTube, 
Some stuff might not initially stick out or may not have been such a sticking point in production. Like, yeah, there's a few spots where I, I think I get what you mean by the computer crash because it's evident that what happened was a re-render as a scene suddenly changes field of vision very slightly. Basically, the exact input value wasn't replicated. But does it ruin the movie? No, it's Wabi Sabi. No, it's a little imperfection in something that is evidence that people made it. At least they're, go they're going to uh, try and fix this stuff because, you know, again, you brought the example of like the Evil Dead, you know? You can I can watch that movie and tell you points of where like the makeup isn't perfect, the blood uh, on someone's shirt is like different in another scene, you know, and no one gives a shit because it's a yeah. fun ride. It's endemic yeah. to cool classics. Is uh, they always have flaws. Right. They, uh, they usually are somewhat critically panned because there's somebody in the audience who can write a really wordy review oh. about the tiny technical difficulties in minute detail mm -hmm. that makes the production like sound uh, like a show. Aliens. Um, <clears throat> they yes. they fixed it in the new uh, the new Blu-ray, but for for a long time. Uh, the scene when Bishop uh, is chopped in half and he's gonna grab Newt, you could always tell that uh, you know Lance was leaning over because uh, he was in that cutout thing, you know. But did yeah. anyone really give a shit? No. Or the Terminator 2, which I guess, again, they fixed it recently because that's what they do these days. But for a long time, you could always tell when it was a stunt double in the motorcycle scene. But again, you know, it was like, eh, big deal because the overarching movie is fine. Or Terminator 1, uh, the fake uh, animatronic Arnie head, you know? It's like big deal the, the rest of the film was still fantastic you know it's like only yes. imperfections yeah, it's, it's called suspension of disbelief it's something we've kind of lost i think critically as a film going culture we've been kind of spoiled by perfect cgi perfect 3d perfect lighting a computer rendered character that is not <laughs> reapplying blood to an actor in between takes but like how long did it take for crafted by an artist yeah it's like but how long did it take cg to even get good you know you watch a movie x amount of years ago you know and oof hell go back and watch avatar and tell me you don't see the shaders mm. right well that's that, that's an even better point right there um it's just people have stopped appreciating art and everyone's fucking outraged all the time it's like just fucking chill oh yeah everybody's always got to get angry about something and i mean that's that that, that kind of leads into the, there's this new thing going around in the you know like the the game review community is is that there's something that's going around in the retro gaming review community right now, and this actually ties in really, really well with um, critics of all movies in general, is that there are people who go and they, they make videos, and you can't say that I don't know what I'm talking about because I do the same fucking thing, but I don't do this. I don't go above and beyond to critically destroy something just for... The, the, the sake of being nasty about it, you know? But um, the, the point that I'm making is is that there's people who will rip shit apart, and then the second that the, the crosshairs are on them, they scream like a pig stuck under a gate. Yeah. And a big factor you know? of that is people try and make a name for themselves. We've got this very clickbait culture where you've now established a persona as the guy who rips shit apart. So naturally, when you go into anything, you're going to rip it apart. Yeah, but then the second that somebody comes and rips them apart, you know, 
they, they, they cry like fucking babies. Well, suddenly the defenses come up. And oh, yeah. They, and they it's have the worst no empathy for their targets. My, it, it's the worst defenses you've ever heard in your life. Mm. I, I knew one reviewer who was getting ripped apart because he was being nasty about things, and then he did something fucked up. And then people started talking about him. Critical Channel started talking about him. And then he was releasing videos talking about how he was depressed and how he was thinking about killing himself and all this. And then it's just like, you know what, dude? I hope you learned a lesson because this is probably how people felt when they put their heart and soul into something. And then here you are sitting there in your comfy little chair saying that, you know, the stuff that other people have done is the worst thing ever, that they deserve to die in car fires, that you hope your kids get cancer, and that when you die, they, you know, they want to find out where your grave is so they can shit on it. Why? Because you made a fucking commercial that you didn't enjoy? You, you know, just... That, that sort of shit I can't stand. I just can't stand nasty people. And even if it's an act, fuck you, dude. Because your act hurts real people. Yeah. You know? And um, this kinda... isn't even... Even oh. if I wasn't associated with this film, you can go ahead and hit me all you want. I'm the fat fuck in the canary yellow shirt. And, and, and you know what? You can go ahead and knock that all you want. It still doesn't change the fact that, you know, an incredibly talented, and you can dispute that all you want and call it opinionated all you want, a group of incredibly talented people got together and they raised money for a really good cause. And they wanted to just solely entertain people and continue going on, you know, continue a legacy that everybody, including the people that tears them down, loves. Yeah. Um, it kind of goes to what you said a while back, quite a while back. Mm -hmm. um, people say, if you don't like the heat, get out of the kitchen. You say, if you don't like the cooking, get in the kitchen. Yeah. To the listeners, to the potential viewers of this film, go watch it. If you don't like it, fine. <laughs> if you hate it, go find a talented writer or be one yourself. Write a script, pitch it to dozens of people. Find talented artists, find investors, pick a location, get out to that location, film multiple takes, make the art perfect, and show us how it's done. I was Raise the just money to film it too. I was just about to say yes. the damn I was just about to say the same damn thing. I was like, you know, get out there and go make your own then. Show us. But you know if what? you show I, us I'm actually... better, we'll embrace you for it. Yeah, and I 100% agree with that statement, but you know what? I'm going to do one even better. If you hate it, let us know what you didn't like about it, and try not to be a dick about it. Because if you want it to be better, telling us that we're shit is not going to make us better. And telling yeah. us that you hope that, we're, that we fucking died, and that people who we lost along the way are rolling in their graves, you know, that, that's not going to make us better. That's just going to make you look like a piece of shit. And it's going to make us feel bad. And if, you, and if your goal is to make a stranger feel bad who didn't do anything to hurt you, your life fucking sucks, dude. It's so something that's endemic in any content creation community. Absolutely. You have perfectionism, you have pedantics, and those people rarely are the ones creating content themselves. They just want to be served a, as I said, a pooped-out Friday the 13th franchise sequel by a AAA studio. No, that... no, then they'll bitch about that, you know? 
about how the franchise has lost its soul because people weren't trying and they don't care about the franchise. But oh wait, the people who tried that cared about the franchise, you think that 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 they that they suck. So what do you want? But no, I, I'm gonna do it one better. Instead of saying, okay, you can do it better, go ahead and do it better, because some people can dispute that one. It's just, like I said before, if you can do it, not if you can do it, but if you don't like it, and if you absolutely hate it, and you absolutely despise it, hey, let people know, I didn't like this, I, you know, I, I felt this would have been a little bit differently, because it's all about how you approach people, and it's all about how you talk to them. And if you just sit there and you bash people and knock people and try to make them feel terrible, especially for the crime of trying to entertain you, you know, that, that crushes dreams. Yeah. But if you go ahead and you say, you know, hey, I noticed a technical issue here and there really is a technical issue, you might actually have the person take a look back and be like, oh shit, there really was a problem. I'm going to fix that. And then it gets fixed. And then there, your problem solved. You're happy. You've gotten what you wanted. And you didn't have to, you know, make a person question their life choices in the process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, the thing is, is like when you actually do pose a constructive argument, do pose real grounded criticisms that can be addressed and it does change something, you then become part of the legacy of filmmaking and that you've changed the outcome. Versus if I just sit here and tell you that I hope your kids get cancer and you never make another film again, the only thing I've done is ensure that nothing happens again. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. Also, it, I mean, it's not changing anything. Also, yeah, this is a fan film. The only thing that's costing you is your time to watch it. You know? And also, if I'm not mistaken, uh, didn't a lot of proceeds that went to this fan film also went to charities? I'm just saying, you know? Shriner's Children's Hospital. Um, there, there was a there was a comment that I didn't particularly care for. Uh, whenever people bring up Steve Dash um, about how oh it's a shame that his legacy had to go on this. Um, at that Someone point, said that. You're, 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 yeah, at that point, you know, or Steve, someone actually remarked that Steve Dash is rolling in his grave right now. And in all honesty, you sir are a fucking cretin. Yeah, people, some people just love fucking chaos. Steve Dash's role in this film helped raise a lot more money. Yeah. And uh, the, the money's not going in anyone's pockets. Everybody donated their salary to Shriner's Children's Hospital. And you, you could, know, and you could tell like, he was having the time of his life in that role, you know? So, yeah, fuck that person. And, and, and unfortunately, this is inside, but I'll tell you, is at the time, Steve Dash was very, very sick. And he didn't tell anybody about it. In fact, he checked himself out of the hospital to shoot his scene. And then shortly after, he had his leg in. Damn. And he passed away very shortly after that. And the reason why he did it, because he wasn't getting paid to do this. We weren't, you know, this wasn't like Ed Wood and Bella Lugosi, where, oh, were they taking advantage of him and using his name? No, he believed in the cause that much. Yeah. You know? That's how much he believed in us. That's how much he believed in this movie. And his involvement really helped raise things. So if you want to go ahead and try to tarnish his legacy like that, you're fucking wrong. It's absolutely one of the worst assumptions that you could make. CJ, he donated a salary too. Everybody donated their salaries. You know, to, to, to Shriner's Children's Hospital. So if you are that against this movie, raising money to help families, 
that can't afford medical care for their children. And the irony is, is what if there was someone who trashed this movie who has a child that goes there? And the money that this film raised helped get that kid trained. That would be irony. The definition thereof. But we shouldn't make it seem like we're just doing the cast to defend it, because I can so see someone spinning that fucking narrative. Mm. Yeah, but the thing is, is like... They, uh... Some people don't come from a perspective of understanding where if you don't deliver a perfect acting performance in your first movie, you should have never been an actor. That's such a load of but shit, look at, though. look at Johnny Depp on Nightmare on Elm yeah. Street. John look at his delivery of some of those lines, and then go look at Captain Jack Sparrow. Or some of Schwarzenegger's, right? some of Schwarzenegger's roles, or... or uh... yeah. yeah, look at Schwarzenegger playing Hercules in New York. Oh, you think this son of Hercules? Keanu Reeves in Dracula, you know? Yeah. If a sequel does happen, I hope that uh, they're able to get whatever budget they need and, you know, go for it, because, uh... Even if there isn't a sequel, they set up something for whoever decides to take up the torch to work with. And, uh, I think they did a successful job. Um, I liked the ambiguity of it without getting too specific. I liked, um, the fact that certain things are left unknown. We're not given a wall of text that scrolls and says, over the next five years, here's everything that happened. Yeah. <laughs> You're making me think of, like, the opening of Highlander 2. <laughs> yeah. You um, know, an another way to look at it, too, is, is in, um, um, this is where we talk about how, um, uh, moviegoers have become spoiled with CGI. Another thing that they get spoiled with is that they get hand-fed too much information all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like the you Texas know, Chainsaw Massacre remake where they had to explain that Leatherface had nose cancer and that's why he wore people's skin. Not because he's just a loony fuck, you know. Yeah, that, and I mean, uh, jumping back, I know you're a big Halloween um, uh, Rob Zombie fan. Yes. Um, I was not a big fan of it because of the white trash thing, and this is the reason why, is because I felt that it was much, much scarier when you did not know why Michael Myers did what he was doing. When you go down the route of explaining that he was in an abusive household and that he snapped and all that other stuff, I don't even want to get into the white horse. <laughs> but um, I... it, it's just um, when you take... When you take away that aura of mystery, and when you take away the idea of asking questions, mm -hmm. and it's just there, this is what it is, it, it takes away some of the fun of it. You know, yeah. This is something that we had actually touched upon with, um, I believe it was John Amplis. Yeah, it was. Because um, when we were discussing um, the, the Living Dead movie, mm -hmm. where the part of George Romero's genius to make you ask questions. Not only look at the social aspect of the message that he's trying to but also to look back at should they have all gone down into the basement and would they have all survived? Should they have stayed up on the first floor of the house? Or should they have all stayed on the first floor of the house and left the basement door open that if things got too hot to handle, they all ran down? You know, mm -hmm. and then you had Dawn of the Dead, where it was like, was the shopping mall a prison, or was this a paradise, and she was just cynical, or is this just a, a, a thing where it depends on how you look at it? And it's the same thing uh -huh. with Day of the Dead, where right. were the military right, were the scientists right, was the helicopter part right? You know, it's people don't have that anymore, where they stop and ask questions, where they stop and speculate. 
you know? So I, I think either way, it's good. And of course, it's not my decision. I would love to see a sequel. And from what I've heard, a lot of people would love to see a sequel. Especially with the talk earlier about how Vengeance could be its own timeline, where Six split off into the Vengeance line. Where, I, I don't give a fuck, Vengeance 2, this time it's personal, who cares? It, it's just that notion that there is an option to do it, and I think it would be great to do it. I mean, the, the, the pluses of things, just from speaking as a fan who's not um, uh, involved in any of the decision-making, mm-hmm. I think that it would be... Um, it might actually be easier to make it. Because, you know, now we've got our, our, our feet wet in the whole process. We've got attention on it. You know, this has the potential to raise even more money for charity, which I think is fantastic. How could you argue and that's that? the perfect model for, I think, a fan film as well. Uh, looking back also at the idea of... Like, okay, that's here's genius. Got, here's what we got in the first... And once again, this leads to that constructive criticism that I push. Because you can look back at that constructive criticism and say, okay, what we did here didn't work so well, so let's try to explore a different avenue and make it work. And this part that we did here worked great, so let's have some and just make it better the second time around. You know, of course you have to come up with an original story, you have to come up with original characters, but I think it might actually be a little bit easier because now um, now people know what vengeance is, and now people can see. It's not just someone walking up and saying, I have a vision, you know, let me explain it to you. It's, I have a vision, let me show it to you, and people have seen it firsthand, and there's end result. And when you take a good long look at vengeance, and even with, like I said, you, you know, the technical issues which are going to be resolved, and you look at, you know, the acting, which, let's be honest here, which, what what horror movie really has moments that, you know, really, really, you know, knock it out of the ballpark actor-wise, you know? And, and just, taking a look, just taking a look back and enjoying it for what it is. A movie made by fans for fans, yes. you know? And horror movies always do silly stuff. That's why I always say, like, it's horror movie logic, you know? It's like, ugh, you know? Yeah, but just taking that look back and and, and enjoying the movie for what it is, for what it was supposed Mm -hmm. to be, it was good. Because if we let one flaw ruin everything, nothing would actually be considered good. Right. It's not like as a species we're flawless anyways. How would I place this on... That, 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 that's a good one. How, how would we place this in, in the category of fame? I would have to say that this is definitely way up there. And the re- and it, it sounds so biased, but the reason why I say that it's way up there is because of all the strong points that it hit. It had a good story. It had de- a dedicated crew. It had a, a writer who really cared about the franchise. It had a director who really cared about the franchise. It had a Jason who, when he put on the mask, it wasn't just, oh, fuck, I was out of work, and, you know, this was the first thing that came my way. This was someone who's, let's be honest here, he, he acts like he, you know, has been wanting to do this from the time that he was a kid. 
Yeah. You know? So you had a Jason that cared, you had a director that cared, you had a cast that cared, and... And you had real talent behind it, like Mick Strawn, who was a real production designer in Hollywood, decided to help hell of a nice on guy. this film. Yeah, he's, he's the best. His I, impact I could not be understated. No, Mick, Mick is fantastic. You know, he, he's great. But it, 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 it's, it's just like I said, he, everybody that worked on this film cared about it, and mm -hmm. it shows. And just putting all that aside and saying that I didn't know anything about the production for the movie, I saw a pretty good storyline. The comedy moments, they were fucking hilarious. Yeah, the well, kills, they were absolutely br brutal, you know? And the nudity that you saw, I'm sure you're more than satisfied with that if that's what you came to the table. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. how often in fan films do you even see nude scenes, you know? Well, and, and then you have the ending. Right. You, know, you, have, you have an ending that makes you question and not... In a negative way. It's like people that are saying, I'm confused, but you know what? Like, oh, all good. Things, they do come in time. <laughs> yeah. But well, like. Embrace you know, the confusion. Embrace not knowing. Wonder maybe, true. Maybe where the missing characters are. Maybe we, want, maybe we want you to speculate. Maybe we want you to think. Maybe we want you to theorize. You know? Have fun with it. Because when you do things like that, you're getting involved in it. And it. it it's so much better than having someone it's that like, doesn't care about it. It's like, I've watched it, I'm done with it. I'd rather have you sitting there saying, so what happened? And then you have one person come along and say, I think this happened. And you have another person come along, no, 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 I think this happened. Jersey, I think you hit the nail on the head there, because, like, when you say that people are fed too much information by films, it's what kills films. Right. If this, if this movie explained everything... If at the end you fully knew everything that happened to everyone and where everyone was going, the sequel's already in a box. Uh, oh man. Go anywhere. I am so annoyed by that trend on YouTube I see where it's like, X movie ending explained. It's like, really? Really? Oh, yes, it's yeah, your interpretation. Luck. Right. That's all it is. If, if it's ambiguous enough to have ex different competing explanations, that's what makes something a living, breathing work of art, rather than simply a statue. Bear in mind that I'm not a diehard fan of the series. I've seen them all. A while back, I would describe myself as subjected to them all. So if there's anyone to, like, be in your corner, if you're not a huge fan, if you're not coming into this with, like, advanced knowledge of this is what every actor did, this is the production process, this is where every single movie ended and why it ended up the way it did, as somebody who's seen all of the films, my recommendation is based on the fact that you go back and you watch the entire series the challenge i would give you is to tell me that this is worse than all of them because i would definitely put this well and above what i would consider the decline of the series i would put it well and above what i would consider even the weak points of the series because even the weak points of the series were in my opinion less of a project of love than this and this is speaking not as a fan not as a diehard crazy about scary jersey guy guy where i just think he's the greatest thing on earth and i'm trying to you know make him feel good this is opinion from someone who watched this movie with the initial feeling of all right um be ready for anything and coming at it objectively and coming away objectively it stands out above a, quite a few of the series i mean shit you had to wait for a new friday the 13th hope that it was good. We're in an age now where they're making tons of them. 
And some people might call it oversaturation, but I call it variety. Because if you didn't like Vengeance, you've got Never Hike Alone, which set a bar, you know? And, and some people will argue that it raised the bar or that it didn't meet the bar. If it didn't, either way. If you didn't like that, and you didn't like Never Hike Alone, they're coming out with Voorhees, and they're coming out with the Fall of Camp Blood. And then, you know, and then they got his name was Jason, and then they got the fanboy. You have all these options to pick and choose from whatever one you enjoy the most. And the important thing is you that know? this is this is causing discussion and inspiration, you know. And the video game also helped to uh, bring everything back in the, bring Jason back in the popular conscious as well. So it's all, you know. Yeah, I think, I, I think the video game spawned more than it gets credit for. People right. can shit on that all they want, but that game changed. Well, I mean, if it wasn't for that game, I wouldn't have met you, so, you know. Exactly. So, I mean, that's how you got to look at it. And, I mean, but that, that, that's the beauty of it all, is now people actually have a variety. And they can say the 13 fanboy is the best one out there. They can say the fall kid, you know. They, they can say any yep. which one is their absolute favorite. Instead of just, yeah, when is another one coming out? Oh, man, and I think they're done. Now it's just a bunch of people are coming out with other ones. And some people are going to like one better and you know than the other. The important thing is, is, is once again, leading back to that common denominator thing. At the very least, Jason Voorhees is very much still alive. Yes. And it kind of, um, is yeah. it, we're at the moment where a genre has been spawned, and it's kind of interesting for a genre to exist around one character. A, a, a fan like uh, film genre of, of yeah, slasher yes, series. But I, yeah. We, cha we challenge the listeners, make their own. The honest truth is, is you could. You could take one person. That one person could wear a mask and not wear a mask in alternate cuts, and you could have them pursued through the mountains. You could have them chased down a river. You could have them on a boat, spite, sighting Jason incrementally closer as they get increasingly terrorized. And you will have done it. People will damn you for it. People will praise you for it. But you'll be a part of a living process in which a character is being brought to life by its community and not simply by the industry that spawned it. E even if you didn't care for it, maybe it inspired you to do better. And if you did do better, hats off to you. Serious. It means that you contributed to the legacy. And, you know, not to go so far as to say that our quote-unquote failures contributed to your success. I mean, shit, that's how I started doing these videos. Uh, retro games, which uh, everybody can argue is done to death. But at least I'm doing it the old-school style where my mouth isn't wide agape. I don't have that nuclear glow from the, you, you know, from, from the Photoshop. I don't have the worst game ever in, in big, bold letters. I do things the old school way with the old school 4.3 ratio and throwing shit inside of a television screen and keeping it looking low budget because that's what it is and that's what it's supposed to be and what it is. E e even things you don't care for can inspire you to do better. Yes. And if there's any takeaway from this film, take away that you can do it too. That these people, just by caring, just by getting together, just by speaking to each other, made this happen. That the contributions of people who were involved in this project, either famed or not, unknowns or known, these people made it happen. And that that should, at worst, be inspirational for you. Absolutely. It just shows that, it, that, that, you know, schlubs like us can do it, so can you. Absolutely. This concludes part two. Stay tuned for part three.